This morning is the last week in a sermon series I've been doing for the last three months through 1 Thessalonians. Uh, 1 Thessalonians was a letter written by uh, an early church leader named Paul to a church that he had started around the year 49 AD. He starts the church along with some other uh, men and women of Christ. They build up the church a little bit, but then they got driven out of Thessalonica by a band of angry Jews who were upset that he was teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they were gone. He tried to come back, but he kept being prevented from returning to Thessalonica. Finally, they sent Timothy. Timothy goes back, hears how things are going, sends a report back to Paul. And Paul, in response to Timothy's report, writes this letter to the church. And he writes this letter. He reminds them of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for their sins. He reminds them of his love for them and his commitment to them, explains why he hasn't been able to visit, and then he transitions to talking about some of the issues that were arising in the church, addressing some things that Timothy had reported back were going on in the church. And this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the final section. I'm going to just briefly talk about it for about 10 minutes, and then I'm going to open it up for testimonies. And this is something we like to do at the end of sermon series where I'll summarize, and then we'll open it up for you to have a chance to come up and to share anything you've learned, anything that God has done in your life through this series. And so I've included in the bulletin a summary of all the sermons. Uh, I sent that out ahead of time as well for those of you who are on the mailing list uh, to hopefully jog your memory and hopefully you had a chance to look at those, to read those. And if there's something that you remember that uh, was particularly meaningful or stood out to you or that you learned that you could share about, we'd love to have some people come up and encourage us. So let me read the final section, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 28. Paul writes this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, help us to understand what this passage means. Open our hearts, open our ears. May we hear and apply this to our lives. Whatever it is that you want us to hear and to do today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do is I want to step back. I'm going to address part of this passage in a minute. But what I want to do first is just take a step back and give a little bigger picture of what we're doing here because uh, we just read through a whole book of the Bible, First Thessalonians, and um, it's a good opportunity to help you understand how to read the Bible, uh, how to read a passage in the Bible. Um, and I've taught classes on this at this church before, and I'm going to give you the quick summary of some things that are important because it's important when you read the Bible to read it in context. It's an important word, reading in context, uh, because there's plenty of people out there who might complain that, you know, you can make the Bible say whatever it is you want to say, right? And people have said that. You've probably heard that. Uh, and there's some truth to that because people do that. But there is a right and a wrong way to read the Bible. And I would encourage you when you read the Bible to read it in context. And there's four contexts in particular. And the first is this, to read it in the grammatical, literary, and historical context. Grammatical context means you read it in the context, not just picking a verse out of the Bible, right? Like it's a fortune cookie and reading it that way. Um, But you read it in the context of the larger section there. Um, 
So, for example, this is why we read the whole of First Thessalonians over the span of 12 to 13 weeks here. So that every verse and passage you read, you're going to know it's in the context of a whole letter that was written. Uh, the literary context means you pay attention to the genre. There's some books of the Bible that are historical, some that are prophetic, some are gospels, some are apocalyptic, some are letters like this one. So every time I've done an introduction, what have I said? This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Thessalonica, and that would be the historical context, right? That it, Again, it wasn't dropped out of the sky to 21st century America. It is an actual letter written by an actual person to an actual people. And so to understand and read the Bible correctly, you want to first of all read it in its context. Understand every verse that we read in the context of the whole letter. Understand it in the context of a historical record of who Paul is, what Thessalonica is, what's going on at that time period, and also recognizing that it's a letter. It's a letter, so we read it like a letter. So again, when you're reading a part of the Bible, some people might say, well, you can make it say whatever you want, but that's typically if you're reading it the wrong way. To read it the right way, first of all, you pay attention to the grammatical, literary, historical context. Secondly, you would read it in the context of the biblical meta-narrative, which is a big word that just means the overarching story of the Bible. That the Bible goes from Genesis to Revelation, and every single book and letter in that fits into a larger story, a larger framework. This is why when I preach, what's the first slide that usually goes up there? Sermon, it's usually what? Scripture that will be referenced in this sermon. And sometimes there's like 30 passages on there, sometimes there's 10 but the point is that this is not just a standalone verse that we're looking at. It's in the context of a larger biblical story. And so therefore it makes sense to reference other passages and books of the Bible and see how does this relate to the overarching story. We're not just reading one thing in a way that's going to contradict the rest of the Bible. So we pay attention to how does First Thessalonians and the message Paul delivers here fit in the context of the larger biblical story. Thirdly, if you're going to read the Bible in context, you read it in the context of Christian community. This is why often when I'm reading, when I'm, when I'm preaching, what will I do up here? I'll have a reference to something that a commentator said or a writer, an author said. You know, we'll reference other sermons and other books because if I'm coming up with an interpretation that has never been made in the history of you know, Christian civilization, then the chances are I'm probably wrong in my interpretation. But if I pay attention to what commentaries and commentators have said, if I pay attention to other books and other authors, and I, and I read and listen to other sermons, and I say, okay, this is what the consensus seems to be, you know, this is what people interpret this passage to me, and then it's probably more likely that I'm on target. And so I don't just read it in isolation, I read it in the context of community, other commentaries, church tradition, uh, the community of faith, what other people have to say about this passage. Sometimes we do discussion groups where we'll discuss the sermon, discuss passages. And part of the reason we do that is because, again, I don't want it to just be what I think about this passage. It should be in the line of what people have said about this passage for the last 2,000 years. So the last context is, and this is what's going to transition us into the sermon today, the context of a life of spirit-led, obedient discipleship. In other words, I'm reading a passage not just to gain intellectual understanding of what this means, but so that I might apply it to my life, so that I might live it out, so that I might submit myself to what it says. So when we approach God's word, when I preach, 
I'm doing it from the context of how do we apply this to our lives, not just what can we learn. I don't want this to be a lecture where you come away and say, you know, I learned something new today and that's it. But my life is transformed as a result or I, I know that I need to do this or I need to stop doing this now. That it's meant to be read with that kind of submission, recognizing that this is God's word delivered through human words and treating it with that level of authority. So that when I come and if it tells me to pray continually and rejoice in all circumstances or give thanks in all circumstances, then what does that mean for me? How do I give thanks in all circumstances, the good and the bad? And what would it mean for me to be in prayer continually? You see what I'm doing there? I'm reading it in the context of a life of spirit-led, obedient discipleship. Lord, how can your Holy Spirit apply this to my life so that I might be obedient to it? So, Again, the reason I do this is to give a greater framework to how I preach and my expectation as we come to God's word. This is why I put up all the other scriptures that I reference. This is why I try to explain the, the background of a text that we're reading. This is why I try to set it in its historical context. This is why we consult commentaries and authors and see what other people have said about it. And this is why we emphasize uh, the application of this text to our lives. So back to the passage then. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Just reference verse 26, the holy kiss thing there. That's an example of reading something in context, right? You don't take it as dropped out of 21st century America to yourself so that you're going to go around now kissing everyone that you see and people are going to be offended by it because a holy kiss in those days is something different than, you know, if he was writing to today, he might be, you know, give a warm hug or shake hands, you know, or, or some way give a friendly greeting to everyone, right? That's, that's the sense here. Back in first century times, a holy kiss was a way of expressing that kind of affection. In 21st century America, that's not the way we do it. Okay, but that's why we read things in context. But I want to focus this morning just on that word sanctify and that he ends with this prayer that God himself, the God of peace, would sanctify you through and through. And that's a very holy word. That's a very theological word, but it essentially just means sanctification is God's process of making you more like Jesus, of making you holy. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you, when you, repent, turn from your sins, and trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you are saved. And at that moment, you are, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. You're justified is the word, declared not guilty before a holy God. You're adopted as his beloved child. You're regenerated, which means he puts his Holy Spirit in you and makes you, gives you a new heart, a new flesh, new spirit. And at once, you are one with God. At a moment, at a moment, you are perfect in God's sight. He sees you as he sees his son, perfect in his sight. So positionally, you are one. You are perfect before God. But in practice, you know that you are not perfect. In practice, you know you are not one with God. And so even though positionally you're one, in practice, you know you've got a long way to go. And so for the rest of your life, this is the sanctification process that God is going to, for the rest of your life, work on you to make you more like Jesus, to conform you to the image of his son. What you were intended from the very beginning to be an image bearer of God, to reflect him to the world in the way you live and the way you love. 
So he's praying here that God would sanctify them, that he would make them more like Jesus, that he would perfect them. It's the same way in marriage. You know, when you think of marriage, you stand at an altar and you say, I do. And they say, the two become one. And at a moment now, you are united. You are one. But in practice, you know that you are not united. You're not one. That for the rest of your life, you're going to be working towards unity, towards oneness. And so positionally, you're one. But in practice, it takes time to get there. And in the same way, that's the way it is with God. At a moment, when you give your life to Christ, you are one with him. You are perfect in his sight. But it takes the rest of your life to be sanctified. And it says here, thankfully, that God is the one who's going to do it. He is faithful and he will be working. He will even work through the hard times of your life. He will work through the struggles. He'll work through the losses and the disappointments. And all the hard times, he's going to use all of it to sanctify you, to make you more like Christ, to make you a person of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control to make you a person that loves God with his whole or her whole heart, soul, strength, and mind and loves your neighbor as yourself to bring you into that kind of intimacy with God. So God's going to do it, but you also have a role. And that's what I just wanted to share briefly with you today because praise God, he's going to do it, but you also have a role. Think of another letter of Paul's, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. He said, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So he says in this passage, God is working in you, but at the same time, you need to work it out, your sanctification, your salvation. What's your job? What's your job in sanctification? Your job is to put yourself in a position where God can transform you. To come to church like this, to be in fellowship, to be listening, to be in a posture of submission and obedience, wanting to learn and be transformed by his word, to come and read his word and put yourself in a position where you're reading God's word daily and letting it transform you, asking him to sanctify you, to transform you, coming to him in prayer and being connected to him so that he might be working on your life. Yeah, I thought about that whole pray continually verse that we read And it's a challenge to be continually connected to God. But then I started to think, you know what? It's not that much of a challenge to be connected continually to my phone, is it? Right? I mean, that has become second nature to always have a phone with me and be continually connected. And how many times a day do I check it to see what messages I've missed and what's going on and all of that? And I think, okay, so maybe it isn't as hard as I think to stay continually connected to something or someone. Maybe, just maybe, I need to put that aside a little more often and be a little more continually connected to God that he might sanctify me and work on my life. And so your job is to stay connected to him in prayer, to put yourself before him in reading his word, in coming to church and being in fellowship with each other. This is why we have community groups where you can come and you can learn from others and you can seek God's word and wisdom together. This is why we give opportunities to serve. As you put yourself in a position to serve, to share God's word in evangelism or to share uh, in in being a Sunday school teacher or or, uh, in the booth or in missions or in service behind the scenes at the church in administration or cleaning, wherever, you're putting yourself in a position where he can sanctify you as you serve, as you give, as you use the gifts he's given you to serve others. So I just want to encourage you in this passage. He ends by saying, may God sanctify you. 
And God is going to be continually working on your life to make you more like Christ. Just because you're saved doesn't mean he's done with you. It means he wants to continually work on your life to make you more like Jesus. And what you can do in that is to continually put yourself in a position where he can do that work to be submitted to him, to be obedient to him. So I want to open it up and give you an opportunity to share at this time. Uh, And again, I've laid out in your bulletins summaries of the different sermons. And so uh, I want to challenge and encourage you, if there's something from this sermon series that you want to come up and encourage or share, please come forward, introduce yourself for those who don't know you. If you need to adjust the microphone to your height, then please do that so we can hear you. Um, And I will be in the front row moderating in case someone winds up saying something completely heretical. But usually it doesn't go that way. Usually you guys are are great and very encouraging. And so, uh, again, there's going to be, I'm going to sit down, there'll be an awkward silence, and then someone will come up first and share. Good morning. My name is Dawn Levine. And um, before I even knew that pastor was going to do this, I did it myself. Um, The one that stood out for me was when he spoke about how to live as a person of integrity. Um, I did a little due diligence on myself. I had to turn the searchlight inside. And I asked myself, Am I living to please the Lord? Do I love people and not using them the way God called me to love them and not using them for my own benefit? Um, Do I love openly with others and am I honest with others? Do I make the gospel my life lesson? And when I think about those questions, I realize that I fall very, very, very short. Um, Especially at work. Sometimes when they annoy me and they get on top of my nerves and I want to lash out. And I remind myself that I need to see them the way Christ sees them. I need to see them through the lens of Christ. Um, My natural thing is to just lash out at them. But I keep going back. I I made the notes from that week here. So I had this from that week here. um, So every time I want to do that, I keep remembering, Dawn, what would Jesus do if he was here? How would Jesus respond to this person? if he was here now. And so that is my sort of benchmark to, to, to respond the way, not Christ, the way, way Jesus would, to be honest, because it's difficult. It's very hard to love some people. 
And the only way I can love them is through Christ's love. In my own strength, I cannot do it. Um, Sometimes I can't even love myself the way Christ loved me too, never mind the next person. Um, But I keep going back to this, and I keep asking myself these questions. Um, Are you living the way God really called you to live, Dawn? No, I'm not. Um, But each day, as I put it into practice, it becomes easier and easier each day. And it also depends on the person, too, and what the situation is makes it even harder, too. But thank God, I am a work in progress. Amen. Good morning, I'm John, um, and what I wanted to touch base with today was uh, how Eric's messages resonated with us that we're doing emotionally healthy spirituality, and it was, it was like each week we would learn something, and the message he preached on contained something that was exactly what we were talking about in our group, and, and even today, it was like, like I, I try to put a... Um, I'll quickly say what emotionally healthy um, spirituality was. It's about 12 of us met for eight weeks after church, and it's a process to become to know yourself better so that you can know God better. And even today, Eric did it where he um, sanctification, where this was like a sanctification class, <laughs> and it was just amazing. Like in our small groups, we would say, "Gee, did Eric said this in class in, in church today?" And it was exactly what we were doing. And uh, some, of the, some of the messages that resonated with us were having a purpose, being genuinely concerned about other people, and loving people and not using people. And remember the infamous, life is hard. That was another one of Eric's. Um, another one, people mattering matter eternally. And uh, God gives us meaningful labor. And uh, even part of the class was realizing that it's okay to sort of not feel well and to say, I really don't feel well, because um, Eric had a class about when Jesus wept. It was like, hey, even Jesus wept. And um, judging others, judging ourselves by our deeds. But it was, just, it was just amazing how, like, each week we'd meet after, and part of Eric's message was resonated with each of us. So um, we're, we're also trying to figure out um, what to do with the whole EHS thing next, um, next, uh, next year, which is coming soon. And um, so we're all praying about that, and we'll see how that goes. Thank you.
morning. I'm John Campbell. Um, so I'm just looking at October 15th. And uh, the idea of uh, we work to please God while resting in his approval, um, it's something that uh, I lean on quite heavily uh, through life and just figured this is an opportunity to encourage uh, pretty much the everybody here if you're feeling burdened with life, uh, work, family issues, uh, mental illness, addiction, uh, any kind of caregiving, long-term challenges, uh, the leadership here, uh, the ministry leaders who just give tireless, tirelessly. Um, I just want to encourage you that whatever you do, uh, do it between you and God. Um, for some of us here, we don't necessarily see the rewards. Uh, we don't feel the relief, um, but it is something that we know that God uh, sees and he's with you uh, through that. Thanks. All right, the spirit said now. <laughs> um, so I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, but I do know that um, I just recently was baptized this year. And that was very much about uh, wanting the spirit back in my life. And so last week's sermon um, was definitely appropriate for me. Um, and I definitely don't ever want that fire to go out again, right? Um, and it's funny because there's, there's certain books that I'll read and stop reading and start reading something else or, you know, time will go by and, and um, it always seems, I always seem to pick it back up at the right time, right? So I've been reading uh, Joyce Meyer's um, in, intimate, Intimacy with God, is it? Uh, knowing God Intimately, that's it. Um, so I picked it back up again yesterday, and I started reading, and it was exactly what we had talked about last week. Um, and, you know, just believing in how the Spirit moves different people in different ways, and to not, um, not judge people, to believe that this truly is the Spirit that's, that's moving them. Um, and it's scary to, to let that come out sometimes, 
because you do feel like you're going to be judged by other people. Um, but yeah, let, let it, let it come in you, let it move through you, let it move other people. I know many of you hate speaking in public and are afraid to death of getting up in front of people, but I want to let you know you're among friends. And so, again, if there is something that is on your heart and you're wrestling with whether or not to get up or not, uh, just get up. It'll go well. It'll be good. So I'm going to sit down again. I'm going to give you an opportunity (laughs) to come on up. I'm not afraid to speak in public. I'm afraid of speaking too long in public. When I was a teenager, I was joking with my wife, and I said, you know, when I was a teenager and I was looking at all the pretty girls, that one verse really spoke to me about greeting one another with a holy kiss. Yes, I'm joking. I can't really put my finger on any one thing that I have heard through pastors' messages, but when we first came back to Connecticut in 2020, we were looking for a church, and then we wanted something a little closer. We went to a number of churches, and be quite honest with you, I was very disappointed in the messages that I got from the other churches and the people speaking there, because to me, that's the first thing that I look for in a church. Am I getting fed? Am I getting something out of this? Am I learning God's word? A lot of the other churches, sorry, they just didn't quite cut it. And then when Lois and I came here a little, what was it, maybe a year ago, we sat here, we listened to pastors' messages, we listened to the worship. Because it was worship, it wasn't an obnoxiously loud rock concert like I've heard in other churches sorry, I'm older. (laughs) I just don't like to have my ears blasted off. But every single message that we've heard, I've, I've never been disappointed. I mean, I got saved when I was 11 years old. I haven't arrived yet. I will not arrive until I'm with the Lord. We always, if you're honest with the Lord and yourself and each other's, we're always growing and learning. So, like I said, I can't really put my finger on any one thing, but every one of the messages have spoken to me because, you know, the Bible says, let a man slash woman examine himself. And that's something we need to do every time we hear a message. On a personal note, uh, Lois and I will be leaving Connecticut probably before the end of the year. I have accepted a job as a chief engineer for a secular radio group in Lakeland, Florida. And so apparently... God has moved me from a Christian ministry to another place where it's going to be sort of like my mission field. And I just want you to all know that we will miss you very much, and we have enjoyed being in this church very much, 
And if you think of us, pray that we find a really good church that's a lot like this because I will miss pastor's messages, his friendship, his counsel, his, his care. He is the real deal. And I will miss all of you in this church very much. And we covet your prayers that things will happen in God's time, but also in a time that we can move on and serve the Lord elsewhere. Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Carter Holliday. I'm in the seventh grade and I'm 12 years old and I'm reading this book called Free Lunch by Rex Ogle. The book has made me think about the relationships with friends and family that I wanna keep and how to better express myself and that's what I'll be working on. And the book is also talking about real life situations that Sometimes people are going through some things and you can't really express, they can't really express themselves because they're going through hatred and pain. And I think I just need to give people more time and express my feelings better to people. I'm going to put 10 seconds on the shot clock. 10 seconds if anyone uh, wants to come up. Ralph, come on up. Thanks, Lenny. Hi, my name is Ralph. Uh, Karen and I have been coming here for about a year. We shopped around for a church, and I hate to use that term, but it's so appropriate. Uh, I discussed it with Pastor Eric last week. We were attending another church, and we were there for a while, and we just didn't feel at home. I feel at home here. I hadn't been to church in a very long time, sad to say. Now Karen gives me a little push. I attended a Sunday class after the, after the service. She gave me another push. I attended a class on Thursday night with Eric, and I I really enjoyed the classes. Uh, I was in the military. I taught eighth grade science for a few years. I do construction now. And I have no problem talking, except when it comes to the Bible. I feel totally inadequate. Even though I read it, I just can't stand up here and quote scripture. 
I feel like I'm home now. Uh, I enjoy the camaraderie with the men on, on, the, on the breakfast, on the Thursday night class. I'm getting to know everybody a little bit better. And I want to thank everybody for accepting me here. Thank you. Thank you, Ralph. Ten seconds back on the clock. Anyone else? Well, thank you to all who were brave and got up and shared. I really appreciate you sharing. If the worship team could come forward.